Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Yo, welcome to What's the Hype Podcast. This is your boy, Jay Wade. And I'm Jeff Pope, a.k.a. The Pod Disciple. And this is What's the Hype. What's the Hype? It's helping young people excel. And it's also cutting through all of the hype, the glitz, the glamour that surrounds the sports industry and give tangible insight from our experience and our guests to help you get a better understanding of the business and all that comes with the sports industry. All my life, been grinding all my life, sacrifice, hustle, pay the price, want a slice, got to roll the dice, that's why. All my life, I've been grinding all my life, look. All my life, been grinding all my life, sacrifice, hustle, pay the price, want a slice. This episode is brought to you by Impress Tax Services, a proud Jumpin' Jack tax partner, one of the fastest growing tax companies in the country. They can maximize your refund, offer you audit protection, provide virtual and mobile services. No more waiting in an office or chasing your tax professional down. Their goal is to get you a bigger refund without paying the excessive fees. They're on a mission to educate and provide their communities with financial literacy and to help build generational wealth. For more information and to book your free consultation, head over to www.impresstaxservices.com. That's www.impresstaxservices.com. Welcome to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Pope, a.k.a. The Pod Disciple. Um, we're excited today to have a great guest on the podcast. Excited to dive into his story, his journey. Uh, with no further ado, we want to go ahead and introduce Montavious Irvin to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, hey. Oh, thank you for having me, man. Awesome. So <clears throat> the podcast in general, you know, we just like to dive into the journeys uh, so that, you know, those that are maybe following behind can take some things that you've experienced and apply to their journey that can just, you know, give them a little bit more of a head start or give them a little bit more of a understanding of what it is they, they, they're getting themselves into. So uh, I always like to start a podcast off with just diving into where you're from and what it was like growing up there. Um, well, I'm from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Um, and what it's like growing up there, it's just, it's a typical inner city. I um, grew up in a, a neighborhood where it's a lot of, you know, violence and and you know drugs and stuff like that. You might see, <clears throat> or it might be your family and things of that nature. People in and out of jail. So, um, it wasn't. I, I won't say it's like as bad as some of the cities around the country, like a Chicago or Detroit or something. But <clears throat> for a lot of it has its own. You know, problems in the inner city, and you know, I grew up in that types of uh, environment. But it helped shape me. Um, I had a great mother who kept me out of it, and you know, kept me in school and sports, really. But um, it's you know, for people that's never been there, it's not just probably like ten minutes away from the from the ocean, so it's a beach. Um, and that side of town is way uh, way different than. You know, the side that I grew up on, but it's all, all of it is for a lot of the, really. Gotcha. And I, being myself from Miami and most of the time when you speak with people that are not from the area, when they initially hear where you're from, they 
for the most part, think of all the glamorous parts of it. And, you know, it must have been so amazing to grow up there. But I like to tell people I'm from a different Miami, not, you know, not the Miami that they're familiar with, much like you, inner city. A lot of things that we had to navigate at an early age, growing up in that type of environment definitely uh, makes you grow up a little bit faster. And, you know, not having, you know, the, the right examples or role models can deter a lot of people. And so with that being said, kind of what was the family structure? I know you said you had a strong mom, but what was the, you know, the, your, where was your father or what was that, that structure like in terms of male role model or at an early age? At an early age, uh, in 1997, when I was six, my dad passed away from a heart attack. Um, so the earliest memories I had of him were great. He was um, involved in everything that had to do with me. Um, but I was raised by three women, my mom, my grandmother, and my aunt. Um, they did their best to raise me and my older brother. So I would say probably from an early age, um, from a male's perspective, I, I had my older brother who was four years older than me. And, um, but I was in a household. Usually it was just my mom, my brother and I, and then we'll go over to my grandmother's house where it was her sister and, um, Gotcha. my grandmother so that was basically our family structure growing up so much like you i lost my dad i mean even earlier than that my mom was actually pregnant with me at the time when my father was killed so um growing up without a father i can definitely relate to that um but i can sure i'm sure that had to affect you in some kind of way uh in a major way i would say you know to to have them and then to to lose them at such an early age uh but i'm sure that as well help um, establish or, you know, develop you to who you were. Uh, so let's get into sports a little bit. Can you tell me your earliest ex- earliest experience of sports and what was your first introduction into sports? Um, I don't really tell too many people this because still, I, I still do my research on it. And, you know, my dad's side of the family, if you can tell, well, my last name is Irving. Um, some of them add the G, some don't. But uh, my earliest experience was with football because everyone would say Michael Irvin's your cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how it was told to me that Michael Irvin was my dad's first cousin. So at a very young age, um, it was football just off of that. But it, I was also one of those kids that was just would try everything and was uh, pretty decent at everything. So... Uh, Probably as early as maybe like four or five, I was into football and basketball, and I played baseball and did ran track and all of that types of things at the at the park that was in my neighborhood. Um, that was that was my earliest. But when I got into, I think I was probably like ten years old when I figured out that basketball is the what I wanted to do, and that's when I first started playing it organized at the park and. And then um, into AAU later on, my fifth grade year, yeah, so probably like 10, 11 years old. So how did you know that basketball initially kind of was probably uh, your focus or maybe uh, where you felt as though you maybe had the best opportunity? How did you know that basketball was that? Well, I kind of, sometimes it seems, I don't know if you ever had this happen to you, but sometimes it's things that's happened so long ago you feel like it didn't really happen it might have been a dream 
but um, I had two situations. My first situation was when my father was alive. I remember watching the news with him, and uh, it was showing, like, Michael Jordan winning the championship, and it was showing highlights from it, and I was just, like, in awe. And it was just, like, so crazy to see somebody really that good. And then after that came along, for me, was Allen Iverson. And when that happened, it was just, it was over after that. Like, I wanted, at 19 years old, I wanted tattoos. I had hair, got my braids. Like, that's when I knew this is what I wanted to do because these guys were, like, superheroes to me. And um, it was just really, really um, extraordinary in what they did. So you mentioned guys like a Michael Jordan and, Allen Iverson that impacted the culture in such a way that it's still permeating today. There's so many people that are that are derivatives of those guys and, you know, have built so many aspects of the game. If you look at the, the NBA impact wise, as far as Allen Iverson, guys that are, you know, was wearing braids and tattoos like I mean, the, the game has totally changed because of his impact. But on a local scale, I want to talk about because you growing up in South Florida, sports is I mean, it's a it's a way of life down there, and not only that, but guys uh, growing up that are good in sports locally, like they can be they're 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 celebrities on a, on a on a on a on a certain level. So, talking about that in the neighborhood that you grew up in, can you talk about maybe somebody that you uh, gravitated to or you liked their game as 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 a youngster that the world may not know of, and somebody that you know again that either made it out or didn't make it out. Um, I don't, uh, in my neighborhood, I really honestly don't know when growing up, I would play against older guys who, who were, to me, were really, really good. And they ended up being, you know, dope boys and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but not really like, uh, I wouldn't say like neighborhood heroes, just, they was just really good at the park, like park legends at the time when I. I'm low-key was so young, I don't even remember their names. Like, I remember nicknames, but I don't really remember their names and stuff like that. But uh, I know in my neighborhood down the street um, live the aunt of Keon Doolin. Okay, yeah. Um, and when I, like, I, I knew who he was, but I, a lot of times I wasn't paying attention at that age to uh, where people was from. But when I found out where he was from, it kind of was like, oh, wow. And then I found out, like, oh, he, he lived down the street from my grandmother's house. Like, well, his aunt lives down the street from my grandmother's house. So it was kind of like, oh, okay, somebody could make it out of out of Westwood. That's 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 crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say Keon Doolin probably. Absolutely. Keon Doolin, yep. Uh, Fort Lauderdale guy as well. Uh, spent some time with the Miami Heat. Very familiar with Keon. So uh, as you started to identify this, sport as an opportunity for you to, you know, build on and uh, hopefully uh, lead you to some uh, better opportunities, who would you say uh, was someone that kind of helped you realize your ability and help you kind of stay focused early on being that you didn't have a dad? Um, well, first and probably was my, my, my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, you know, he, we had like a typical – you know, older brother relationship, we, we get into it about everything. But I think he's the one that sparked 
my competitiveness mm-hmm. because I literally would lose to him in everything. And whether it was basketball, football, video games, he would eat, finish food before me. I would just hate it. He'll let me know you suck, basically. Now, I'm not saying that's the correct way, but it worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he first and foremost sparked my, my, my competitiveness. And then at that age, also, I would hang out with guys of his age, his friend group. So a lot of times I was playing against older guys. And once we get out there, it turns into, well, my little brother is better than you. And these guys is, I'm, you know, I might be nine and they're 13. Mm-hmm. So um, he, he definitely was the, the engine initially. Um, but once it got around to, like, organized basketball, I got introduced to um, Coach Wayne Powell. He's the one that uh, probably within the first week told me, like, this could, you can turn this into, to a, like, a lifestyle for yourself if you really worked at it. Wow. So when, you know, hearing that, I, I could assume possibly that that started to help your confidence and maybe allow you to kind of really focus in on that and um, really take it, take it to the next level. It did. Um, I mean, he, when I met coach Wayne, when I was 10 years old, he really changed how I looked at basketball. Um, I, I went from just playing it to becoming a student for it. Um, we would sit on the phone. I kid you not for maybe like five hours, some nights. And, just talk basketball. He'd tell me, look this up, find this, look this. And he's the, I mean, originally, like I told you, my favorite player was Allen Iverson. I wanted number three. So coming to his team, I got introduced to him through uh, a guy I was playing with that I went to church with. I went to Coach Wayne and I said, I want number three. And he's like, somebody got number three already, but your last name reminded me of my favorite player. I'm just like, who's your favorite player? He's like, Julius Irving. It's almost spelled the same. So he, he, he was like, you know, we, we dive into, you know, conversations similar to this at a young age. He asked me, when you lose your father? And I was like, I lost my father at six. He was like, that's perfect. Julius Irving wore number six back then. You should wear number six. My man, my, my, one of my friends, Jalen Williams, already had uh, number three. So he, I was just like, who is Julius Irving? I go and look it up, and I'm just like, stud who this dude is. Because I'm like, what? He was like, you don't know who Julius Irving? That's Michael Jordan's favorite player. That was Magic Johnson. I'm like, who is Magic Johnson? Like, at 10 years old, he's, he, you know what I mean? I'm not really knowing. All I literally know is Michael Jordan and Allen Iverson. And, you know, a couple of guys from the 90s or like, you know, 90s into the 2000s, you start to watch basketball. But I don't know too much. And then it just piqued my interest a lot. So, next thing you know, I'm going all the way back to who invented basketball. But it was because of him, he started, like, he, he made me watch basketball and study it and understand, okay, you should do this and this and this situation and play like this. In order to get to this level, even give yourself a chance to get to that level, you got to work or read about these guys' work ethics and how they trained and all of this type of stuff at 10 years old. And, um, I, you know, all the credit goes to him. Awesome, man. I mean, that's, that's a story that, that could be told you know, time and time again, especially the Julius Irvin, you know, uh, story and, you know, that being his favorite player or, you know, but just encouraging young guys to 
go back and to do some research on some of these guys, it definitely lends to the development, the, a better understanding of the sport, better understanding of the game. So um, big ups to Coach Wayne for sparking that in you and encouraging you to go ahead and do so. Um, let's 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 talk a little bit about, okay, you, you're playing on the AAU circuit and you're traveling, you're doing some things. Let's talk about your high school experience. Uh, let's talk about where you played and maybe what was your expectation as far as basketball going in. Um, so I played at Boyd Anderson High School. Um, I almost did not go there. Uh, I was being low-key, like, swayed away to go to Pinecrest. And realistically, the only reason why I went to Boyd Anderson is because Coach Wayne and Coach Sed, who uh, who's, you know, one of his best friends and was his assistant coach on our AAU team, um, they ended up getting assistant coaching jobs for Boyd Anderson. Um, so it was more of a comfortable thing, but I almost went to Pinecrest um, with one of my really good friends who played AU with us, Edward Waite. Um, but, yeah, I went to Boyd Anderson. That's the uh, school I for a lot of. That's the first time I got uh, introduced to who Mitch Richmond was because I seen, see his jersey hanging up in the, in, in the gym. I had no idea who he was until I got there. Um, yeah, my expectations coming in was, you know, they told me that they hadn't won or hadn't got to this uh, Lakeland, which is where the semifinals and the finals for the state championship since 94 at the time, I think. So my expectation was to just, you know, create a legacy, really, um, make it happen. Um, and yeah, that's just something every day that I work towards. So you decide to not go to Pinecrest. Um, so with you making a decision to go to Boyd Anderson, talk about the overall team success. I mean, I, you know, maybe versus a Pinecrest. And then also, you know, let's talk about a little bit about, you know, some of those guys that uh, you played with or played against throughout your career in high school um, uh, during that time. Um, well, with me going to Boyd Anderson, it also led to all of my closest friends who are like brothers to me to this day. Ended up going there, with the exception of um, Edway. He still went to Pinecrest. Um, but, you know, we ended up being probably the most memorable um, class of uh, kids to come through Boyd Anderson since like the 90s, and there's been a lot of good players that came through there. But, you know, we had success every year. It was always highly ranked in the state, but our junior year was probably our best year when we got as high as number seven in the country or US, in USA today in the newspaper, number one in the state. We ended up getting all the way to the championship game, uh, which was the first for them for the first time. They did not finish the job, which to this day, is a huge regret of mine, but there's nothing I can do about it. But, um, you know, we was really successful. My junior and my senior, we, senior, we ended up being like 14 in the nation. Um, so we, we had a lot of uh, nationwide notoriety. Um, a lot of guys I played, most of the guys I played with was all Division One players. Ivan Askew went to Murray State. Uh, Brian Dines went to George Washington. Uh, Cedric Smith Jr. with the Savannah State, Tyrone Davis with the Northwood NAIA, uh, Travis Elliott ended up going to High Point, then transferring to Bethune, 
Um, Frank Gaines went to Indiana, Purdue, Fort Wayne. Um, you know, a lot of these guys are still playing to this day. Yeah, they're still pros and all of that. Um, so, you know, we had pretty good guys on that team. Now, now there are some uh, big name guys you would say um, in the sense that uh, you played against as well. So, yeah. you know, uh, who are some of those guys that you played against uh, during your career in high school? Um, well, my class was Kenny Boyan. He was the biggest name in the mm-hmm. state. Mm-hmm. Um, my our freshman year, we played against them. Freshman and uh, sophomore year, I should say. I'm sorry. When he went to Ely, um, back and forth battles every night, every time we played them. Um, of course, sophomore year they ended up winning state. Ended up transferring to American Heritage where we played them again. Um, and that was the last time in high school that I got to play him. Um, because after we beat them by 20 plus points that year, and they were highly ranked. And I think that's the game that actually put us on the scene because they had him and a guy by, um, I don't know if you remember, Eloy Vargas, but um, this big 16. Hispanic guy who was really, really good ended up going to Kentucky, then transferred to Florida. Um, and then they had Lil Ray Taylor. I don't know if you remember him also, mm-hmm. but in our class. Um, so they was, you know, highly ranked. We ended up beating them by 20 plus points. Then the next year, we um, we scheduled Pinecrest, who at the time had Brandon Knight. Um, they took us off the schedule. Uh, I don't want to even get into why they took us off the schedule. That's neither here or there. That's still a myth that goes around. There was speculation that Coach Lieberman was a little scared to play Boyd Anderson, but that's neither here or there. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I played uh, – we kind of grew up playing against Brennan because he's a year after. He was 2010. But his uh, AU team always played up. And then once he got to, like, the eighth grade, he started playing with uh, Orlando team. And then he ended up playing with Breakdown. And I didn't really get to play against him as much. Um, but, yeah, those were the two biggest names at the time. I know my senior year, we got to play against Warner Park also. But they had Austin Rivers. That's right. Class of 2011. Mm-hmm. And we ended up winning by 25 or something like that. So we were, we were really running through people. No disrespect. So, but, uh, hmm? yeah, so like like what you're saying that is it kind of brings me to a point that I do want to just just ask you, being that you guys had nation nation national notoriety, you're playing against some of the high you know highly ranked um players, and not to mention that you know some of these guys well these guys coming out of Florida that you know as a football player i i will I will say that the state of Florida is football track. And then basketball, but just to kind of have guys get national attention, like the Kenny Boydens and Brandon Jennings and those guys, it brought a, a different level of attention in terms of basketball that I hadn't seen in a while. So, when you're saying that you guys had that type of attention and traveling, did it did it strike you at any time during that process that did you see the business of 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 basketball, or the business of sports, kind of? Uh, going through that journey, did you did you recognize that it was that it was really a business side to it? Um, I did, uh, because you at a young age you started noticing everybody who 
wants to play together or play for this and that AU team. And in my eyes, I'm like, why? Like, why not compete against each other, your respective AU teams? But then you start to hear about, well, and this was, I forgot how this got introduced to me, but at around the age of 17 is when I started hearing about getting nationwide attention the most that you can will bring in more college coaches. And those college coaches, if they really want you, certain ones would do whatever they have to, let's say. And, you know, a lot of that had to do with payment of the players and all of that. And I learned that in high school. And I'm, uh, I was kind of like, not, I was not surprised because it's like certain teams, I've always noticed certain like colleges per se were always good. And I always wonder, well, why are they always good? And, you know, just winning isn't enough. Mm-hmm. Like, and you start, you start to notice it now. Like winning is just not enough for college. You, you, you have to, a lot of these kids come from, you know, situations similar to mine or even worse. And their families are in need, and it's like mm-hmm. I'm the talent out. How much do you want me? Let's make an exchange. Right. Like they take care of my son, and make sure he's playing X amount of minutes, so he can show off his talent, so he can make it to the highest level in the world. In exchange, can I have X amount of dollars? Which I understood that also, and I was always for it. So, and, and as you said, there's stuff that you know. It seems like every year there's a different story coming out about something in exchange to that. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that, but that is obviously that has been at the fabric of, of college sports period for as long as, you know, I can remember as far back as I can remember. Um, so, you know, that's no surprise to me, but let's kind of jump into the recruiting process for you. Let's kind of dive into how that, ex- how, how did you, uh, how was your experience in the recruiting process? And then, Ultimately, the decision you you uh, you made. The recruiting process was a headache, to be honest. That was ter- That was a terrible time. Man. I didn't, that that really lets you know how the business goes. They're they're after you like hounds. Mm-hmm. But um, my first, I, I got my first recruiting letter from uh, Stanford University in the ninth grade, and I thought it was like I I didn't know what to think. Like I was like people really think I was that good and you know one of my one of the assistants on our high school team Admiral White he told me um Coach Admiral played at Notre Dame and you know he kind of had the similar similar recruiting process where you know he got his first letter and uh in the ninth grade and all that um and he told it he's like listen you're a division one player that's I, I can tell you that right now um where you go that depends on you and how well you do, that depends on you also. But, you know, it's something you're just going to have to work for. It. But they're going to continue to come in. And, you know, from ninth grade on, they continue. But once I got to my this summer, going into my um, going into my senior year, I don't know what types of pain this was, but I suffered from, like, pain in my knees that just got me to a point where I could not play. And when that happened, I lost like all types of contact. I lost any type of letters um, or anybody that was sending me because everybody was just like injured type thing. Um, so going into my senior year, I honestly didn't really have anybody recruiting me no more. 
And this is after I got, I've seen letters from, like I said, Stanford. I've seen letters from George Mason, from Auburn, from a lot of, a lot of SEC schools, not a fact back then. And, um, they just all just disappeared. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Coach White told me, listen, you don't have to really worry about that. Um, because you just had a great junior year. Like I told you, we was coming off of going to state and then it all just disappeared. Um, I was first team all state and all county, mm-hmm. everything, and it just all disappeared. But he's like, listen, they're going to come back around. You're going to be fine. And um, once that happened early on, I was getting a lot of um, a lot of NAIA schools early on. And I was honestly, in my mind, I was really disrespected because I didn't feel like that's where I belonged. Um, and that's just my own expectation. Mm-hmm. So, um, early on in my, once that happened, early on in my uh, senior year, I got an offer to come take an official visit to the University of North Florida. Wasn't really feeling that either, but um, Coach White was like, just take it so you can get you some experience under your belt because they're going to come in. It's going to be okay. They're going to keep coming in. So, I take a visit. That's my first official visit to UNF. it actually was a pretty good visit. I was like wild because I'm like, oh, this is college. Oh, okay, I get it. You know what I mean? So, you know, you might go out to a party. I, I went, you know, shadowed some people to to their classrooms and all this thing. And I was just like, okay, this 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 is what the college experience was about. And I liked it. Um, but after that happened, I, I'm not sure where we played. But I want to say we played in like a tournament in Tennessee, and I ended up getting we won the whole tournament. Ended up getting MVP, and that's when it like kind of skyrocketed after that because we played against a a team that had a guy that was committed to go to the University of North Carolina, and we ended up beating them by double digits. I outplayed him, um, all of that. So it kind of skyrocketed after that. So my second visit I ended up taking was to um, VCU. <clears throat> And at the time, Coach Grant, uh, Anthony Grant was there, mm-hmm. and that's off of his Final Four run with um, Larry Sanders and can't remember the point guard name. What was the point guard name? Uh, I forgot the point guard, but he played in the NBA for like six, seven years. Um, but he he made that run, um, and I went to VCU, and I was honestly sold. Like I loved that school more than anything. Like I was just like, this is where I want to play at, it's a good environment, it's, it was everything. Um, but Coach White had also informed me, he was just like, after this this run he made, to make sure you ask him the correct questions, because I don't want you to go into a, a situation where you commit there and then he leaves, because that's usually how it goes for, you know, mid-major schools that make a run, then bigger schools go after that coach, especially right. if they're young. Mm-hmm. So, I just I told him to be honest with me. I was just like, Coach Grant, I mean, I respect you. He, he's from Miami. So I was just like, you, you, you're from South Florida, and I'm real comfortable love this place. If you tell me that there's a chance that you're going to leave, I'm not going to come here. But if you say you're staying, I'll commit today. And he told me straight up, he said, more than likely I'm going to take this Alabama job. And I respected that because like three days later, he took the Alabama job. Wow. Um. 
and I that was the most honest. So you can't do nothing but respect that. You know what I mean? So took that job, and even though I was one of his recruits, didn't bring, really bring me with him, but it kind of came full circle in a different way, weirdly. But um, my next uh after that, my next visit was to St. Louis. I went to St. Louis University. Um, so still kind of made it a little bit bigger in Atlantic 10. Um, and then up until that point, I was like a really big school. And I was just like, wow, they came off a pretty good year. They had Willie Reed that year, who's in and out of the NBA now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really liked that visit too. It was, it's a lot more calmer there, surprisingly. But, you know, it was a good one, man. You know, that they recruited me the hardest. And they were, there was, they are what's made the recruiting process really tough on me because the guy that was recruiting me was just like, you're our number one recruit on our, number, on our, on our board right now. You got to come here. And it's kind of like pressuring me, and I was just didn't know what to do really. Um, and, you know, Coach White stayed in my ear because he, he had been through it uh, in the 90s, so he got it. And he's like, you know what? You don't even have to make a decision. Just, you know, you can honestly take all five of your visits if you want. Mm-hmm. So at that time, um, we're still going through our season when um, we're like towards the end of our season, and there's a guy in the stands at one of our games. We playing Cypress Bay. Had no idea about it, um, but one of my friends, Tavon Ferguson, who was playing with us also, he was like, "Yo." It's a Kansas State coach at your game out there. I mean, at our game outside. I think he here for you, Tay. And I'm like, Kansas State. Like, the only thing I knew at the time was Michael Beasley. But um, Coach uh, Brad Underwood, who's the head coach at Illinois now, he came to watch me. Um, and I met him after the game. And, you know, I played pretty well. And he was like, I really like your game. I'm going to bring Frank down here. And I'm like, who's Frank? I didn't know who Frank was. Like when Brent Coach Martin, he's the head coach of Kansas State, down had to come see you. So they both came back to see me um, during the Big Eight. Um, I got a chance to talk to them uh, for a while after the Big Eight, and then they came back again for the third time. And um, Coach White was like, I, I, I know the type of player you are. You want to play at a big school yeah, against great competition, um, and the competition really don't get no better than the Big 12. Um, it's like, you know, every year the Big 12 and ACC compete for which conference is the best. You're going to play against pros, uh, first-round picks every night, and that type of stuff excited me. And he was like, you take your visit there, you like it. You know, they he, he broke it down for me. He was like, they got two all-league guards there, so you're not going into the start. Um, and the way college basketball is, you know, everybody used to be the best player on their team. Mm-hmm. So... You, you you can't walk in there thinking, you know, you are all high and mighty because you're not. And you got to work your way into rotation and work your way into getting minutes and stuff like that. So I took my uh, visit to Kansas State. And before I took my visit to Kansas State, I had already set up my fifth visit to go to Georgia. Um, and at that same time, um, after... No, this was before, I'm sorry. Before I took my visit to Kansas State, Coach had uh, an open like open workout for us, like just per- watch practice. And 
I kid you not, in Boyd Anderson's gym, it probably was like 40 to 50, like, head coaches, assistant coaches in there. From um, from from college, from, I, the, from college. From college. Wow. And I had no idea. And it was, it was, for my seniors, for a mixture, it was a mixture of us. But the majority was there for me and my teammate, Brian Bonds. But, like, they all wanted wanted me. So it's like they was coming to see us all. But, you know, in the college coaching business, they, certain coaches, and I, and I learned this, like, they'll come see you, but they'll know if they can get you or not. Like, if they feel like it's out of their league, they, they just they won't try to get you. But we were such a talented team that no matter who you got, you just get a good player. Um, but we had about 40, 50 coaches in there. Um, and I had already set up my visit to go to Kansas State. But, like, Miami wanted me to uh, come in, and I had already set my fifth visit, so I couldn't even do it. And they just – they they had XP at my gym. Like, if you commit with us, it wouldn't be – you wouldn't regret it even without seeing the campus. And I just didn't want to do that. I wanted to make sure I see things and get a feel for certain things. So I didn't go I, – I didn't take that. Um, South Florida was in there. UCF was in there. Um South Carolina was in there, uh, which is weird because I ended up committing after my visit. I committed at the airport to Kansas State um, and, and Frank Martin. And uh, my coaches, both Coach White and Coach Richardson, who's the head coach there, told me, you know, Coach Martin, they used to play. They coached against him, played against him uh, when he was at Miami Senior High. And uh, they used to just tell me, like, he – He's crazy. Like he's a crazy coach, but it's not something you never experienced because we crazy. So, you know, you should know what to expect type thing. And, um, yeah, it, that was kind of long. But the, the overall, like, the recruiting process was, was crazy because once I committed there, I I never experienced this. But the, I don't remember the guy's name, and I don't – I'm glad I don't. But, you know, the assistant coach that, that was at St. Louis, I don't think he's there anymore. He completely cursed me out, like cursed me out. I never experienced that at 18 years old. Just cursed me out, told me you're making a big mistake. You ain't going to play there, all kind of stuff. And I was just like, thank you, coach. I appreciate it. It's so crazy because I'm glad you said that because I think that's an aspect of the process that people don't really see. But there's, you know, there's people that, that for whatever reason – uh, well, for the reason that if they aren't able to land a player, you know, they cut off all communications. They 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 may cuss you out. They may, you know, talk bad about you. So that is a very real part of the recruiting process, which I'm so glad that, you know, that you had somebody uh, like, you know, your coach who who who, had, who could guide you through that process, because, you know, n- not everybody is Anthony Grant that would be honest with you. Um mm-hmm. You know, so to kind of have somebody to guide you through that process, I think it was so amazing. I got a crazy story for you that even come full circle. So Anthony Grant, Frank Martin, Miami High, my uncle was on the same team and played with Anthony Grant. Frank Martin was a part of that team. And my uncle and Frank and and Anthony, uh, I'm sorry, uh, and Anthony Grant where I have a picture of them, they're all day, all county players, and uh, they are again just 
full circle with those guys. And my uncle always talks about Anthony Grant and Frank Martin growing up. And, you know, so, you know, that's definitely, uh, I, I think, would say that I, that maybe lend a little bit to maybe the decision you made having that familiarity with people that's, that knew. That's, that's also why I said it a little bit kind of came full circle. And it's a different story. But, like, into my sophomore year, we ended up playing Alabama. Um, and Fred used to always tell us, listen, I grew up with Anthony Grant. He's my best friend in the world. I can't lose to my best friend. And we ended up beating Alabama. And then <laughs> I played well, too. As a sophomore, I had like 12 points, you know, but I had here and there little mistakes, might miss a defensive rotation. And Frank will let you know, anybody that know Frank Martin, he, he, he wasn't never shot about coaching very loudly. Um, but after the game, you know, some insight on how coaching goes. I'm leaving my locker room. I'm out of the locker room, going to the bus because we played at a neutral site. Uh, we played at uh, South Alabama, and I'm walking through the hall. Coach Grant is walking right by me. He stops me. He's like, "Hey," I'm like, "I'm surprised he actually remembered me." Because you know, I think coaches go through so many recruits. You never right. know. He's like, "Hey, what's up?" And I'm like, "Coach, what's good?" He's like. I don't act like I remember you, baby. You already know I know about you, bro. What's up? You happy over there? And I'm like, huh? <laughs> wow. And he looks around. He looks around. He's like, you heard me. Are you happy? And I'm like, um, I'm okay. He's like, listen, you got my number still? I'm like, nah. Take my number. Uh, if you ain't happy, give me a call. And I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking these guys are best friends. Grew up in Miami together, but. They trying to keep their job and they trying to win. That's just the business. That's the business. At the same time, while he's talking to me, Coach Martin comes walking down the hall, and he looks at Coach Grant because he knows what's going on, and he just puts his hand on my back and pushes me along, and I'm just like, "Wow!" <laughs> like, wow. "Wow!" In my head, I'm like, "Wow, y'all are really best of friends, and this is how y'all doing it because it's business." At the end of the day, they separated as business, so. Welcome to the kind of welcome to college basketball, man. That's that yeah. is exactly in a nutshell. Um, but what's up, hype family? Thanks again for listening to another episode of What's the Hype podcast. But if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenerships. So you don't even have to have a big audience. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You know, let's kind of, I just want to talk about how you adjusted to coming from South Florida um, to landing in Manhattan, Kansas. What was the adjustment like for you? Um, and, and, and how did you, how was your experience when you first got on campus? I had never seen so many white people in my life. Not in one city. Like I had never seen that many, uh, because like I told we, we, we grew up in a neighborhood where, you know, Boyd Anderson is in an area where at my high school, it might've been two white people there. Maybe Mm -hmm. the majority of people at the high school is, you know, Jamaican, Haitian, Bahamian, you got a couple of Hispanics here and there, but it's no white people. And it was kind of a, it's a culture shock, honestly. I didn't know how to talk. All of a sudden, I didn't know 
what to say or not to say. I was honestly scared. Um, but I ended up obviously adjusting. But, um, you know, the biggest thing outside of that also was the weather. Like you say, it's plus 80 year round. And I get there and it's October and it's 30 degrees already. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm calling. I'm all ready to go home because this, this is terrible. Like, I never, uh, you know, Manhattan was the first place I saw snow at the age of 18. Um, so it was just, it, it was a lot of cultural differences. There was a lot of, you know, weather differences um, that I ended up having to adjust to. You know, I had to come out of my shell and be able to speak to people because as a college athlete, it ain't only just, you know, playing basketball. You you have to do, you have to have meetings with alumni or meetings with boosters or meetings with kids or go to hospitals and talk to kids or, you know, have special Olympics where kids that need to want to play with, you know, the men's and women's basketball team and stuff like that. So you have to come out of that shell of, you know, what you're used to and, you know, give people a full use sometimes. You know, um, unfortunately, uh, that don't happen for some guys. Some guys uh, never make the adjustment and they just can't deal with that that cultural change and they walk away. So, you know, you having the ability or the foresight to say, okay, I got to make some changes. I got to make some adjustments um, in order to thrive in this environment that you were willing to do that. So, like, that's not the case for everybody. And I, I can remember guys going away to college and deciding to come back home because they just couldn't, they couldn't adjust and, you know, gave up an opportunity. So I think that is a valuable nugget for uh, a listener to hear like, okay, I, uh, because I think that growing up where you're from and kind of just being in that environment your whole life, you really think the world is just that environment. You really don't, you really don't know how much things are different in other places in the, you know, in the country. So when the way you talk, the way you deal, the things you say, when you, when you are out of that environment, you realize that people have no idea what you're talking about. So to be able to adjust in that, man, that, you know, and, and for you to be able to, at a young age, you know, to, to, to be able to say, okay, there must be some changes I have to make. And not only that, the aspect of being the social aspect of connecting with the alumni, with other aspects that surround the basketball program that helps you to be able to see things outside of just the game. Yeah. So, like, and, and that in itself is, you know, what I would like people to understand and to kind of uh, tap into that part of the game because it takes you so much further. Um, but let's, you know, so you, you end up in, in, in Kansas, at, um, at Kansas State, and Let's let's talk about the success of the team, though. As a you know, you come and you contribute as a freshman, and then yeah. you guys uh, make a tournament run. I mean, talk about that experience in itself as you coming in as a freshman and like really, it's almost like being a, in a rock band in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, my freshman year, we had a lot of success. We ended up winning the most games in school history. Um, one like we finished the regular season with like tw- oh finished the season with like twenty nine wins or something like that. But um ended up you know, we came second in the Big Twelve and made a run uh to the Elite Eight and um it was a it was a crazy experience. Like some of the things that I 
So I heard um, it, it's almost like it was it, it's almost like it was fake now that I like look back on it. It was, you know, nine, ten years ago. But um, we when we made that run, it completely changed the whole landscape of uh, of our team and, and of school, really. Like Kansas State was to that up until then was known as, you know, football school. Mm-hmm. It had its moment a couple of years before with a Michael Beasley, but Michael Beasley's don't come around every so often, you know. True. I came in with a, a a top twenty recruiting class that had a McDonald's, you know, and Wally Judge, one of my good friends, but he wasn't Michael Beasley, and we everybody understood that. Like Michael Beasley was a guy that came in and obviously averaged twenty six twelve. To me, that was statistically the best, you know, freshman season in the history of college you know that's you know, that that's another debate but you're not gonna get those too many times but we made a when we made a run it was like everybody on the team was getting some type of notoriety and it got to a point where where like um i remember our sweet 16 game against um xavier and we went into double overtime and won and after the game uh all the media saying this is going to be heralded as one of the greatest uh, college, you know, basketball games of all time, just because of how it was, you know, seesawing back and mm-hmm, forth, mm-hmm. big shot after big shot, the names that was involved and all of that. And um, I remember it like it was yesterday, like once that game was over, we won, we got on the bus and I got people, some of my teammates got people sending them, uh, videos we have an area in Manhattan called Aggieville and that's basically um the bar district where all the bars and all of that they sent in those videos you couldn't walk or drive down there the people had blocked the whole road it's like give or take about five blocks long four or five blocks long the whole road throughout the whole thing was blocked and people were on top of their cars going crazy because of the game we just had won Wow. And like I said, I never experienced that from, you know, like at Boyd Anderson, we might win a big game and, and the, the gym was rocking, but that's just what it was. Everybody go back home and no, these people were out basically riding and the police wasn't trying to stop them, like jumping car to car like it's a movie and just going crazy because they had never experienced it in their lifetime, like this type of success hadn't happened for the basketball team since the eighties. So to have that experience at an early age, I was just like, Whoa, like I'm glad I picked this place. Cause like you said, I, I I was the, I was the last one signed. I was the last recruited out of our five, but I played the most minutes as a freshman. And that's just off of me personally, just knowing, listen, Type of team we got. I, I, if I want to get on the floor to try to contribute in any type of way, I gotta do something that nobody else is doing. So I just said I'm gonna defend as hard as I could, and they took notice of that. So I would play, but to be a part of that type of run, and then we ended up, you know, going to the Elite Eight, and we lost to a very good Butler team who ended up losing in the national championship two years in a row. With great Gordon Hayward and Shelvin Mack. And people that like that who ended up playing in the NBA, still in the NBA, um, it just was a, a, a really good time. Um, you know, I, now it probably doesn't it, it doesn't matter, but 
after that Elite Eight run for probably the next six months, everywhere we went in Manhattan, we did not have to pay for food. Wow. Wow. That's when I knew. That's when I knew, like, college is different. Every restaurant we went to, we 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 would usually have, like, this... We had this thing, like, after practice or after workouts or after anything. We'd just go to Applebee's because at the time, Applebee's had 25-cent wings and that type of thing. So one after that, made that run. And we got back to town. Maybe, like, a few days later, it was like everybody hit each other. Hey, let's go to Applebee's get some wings. So we're, like, at Applebee's 12 deep. And we order all this food, and we just reflect on the season, talking about how we could do better next year. Talking about how they saying, oh, y'all going to be a top five team preseason next year, everything. And we asked for our bills. Once we done eating, they're like, oh, your bill's taken care of. And we was like, huh? Then just like out the blue, you see somebody waving, like some some guy in the corner just waving. And we're like, oh. So after that, we started going everywhere together as a team, <laughs> <laughs> like 10, 12 deep. And it could be Applebee's, it could be Chili's, it could be IHOP, it could be Anywhere we went, we did not touch the bill. Like, it was paid for. And granted, obviously, that's illegal. I don't know who these people were. So, And this was, you know, 10 years ago. But that's the magnitude of um, the impact we had with the success of our team in that first year. I mean, rock stars, just just all I can think of when you talk about those experiences. So... Just to kind of recap your your Kansas experience, Kansas State experience, you know, you start off and you you start off and y'all have this magnificent run, but kind of talk about the way you ended your career um, and the success that was, and uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about also about um, the the infamous tunnel dance. I just kind of you know we'll we'll just kind of talk about it in terms of kind of how that all came about, but again, being able to. Uh, finish strong in your senior year, kind of talk about that success and, and, and that experience. Um, it was, so we was going through a very weird time at the time because we just had lost our head coach. Coach Martin decided to uh, leave Kansas State and go to South Carolina. Um, so it was a situation where we didn't know who we were going to get and what to expect. But I know at the time, we were down to three seniors. Um, two two of my guys had already transferred after our sophomore year. So it was just me, Rodney Magruder, and Jordan Henriquez there. And we just said, listen, whoever we get, we just got to finish out strong because we only got one year. It don't make no sense to transfer or any of those, you know, situations. So let's just finish out. Um, so we ended up getting Bruce Weber, who, um, you know, brought his staff with him and we had to go through a whole trusting process. It was kind of like recruiting all over again. Who do you trust? Is If it's going to work, uh, how is this guy going to play you and all this? Because, you know, we all have aspirations to play uh, basketball after college, and we don't want to get, you know, we don't want it to go bad with this new coach. And he ended up not playing us enough, made us not having whatever film you may need. But um, ended up, it ended up going well. It was the first time uh, that we won the Big 12, but we ended up tying for the Big 12 regular season championship with, with KU. 
Um, it was our first uh, Big Four championship since 1977. So, you know, kind of like at Boyd Anderson, it was one of those situations where, you know, you leave a legacy. Um, you always, you're always remember as being that first team to get a ring um, since 77, a first team to get a ring in the midst of how dominant Kansas University was mm-hmm. and how hard it is to win in that league. Um, night in and night out, it, like it's, it's. I tell people all the time to win your league, and the coaches explain it to us. But to win your league is harder than to win a national championship, simply because you play everybody twice, the same people. Mm-hmm. So you get to prepare for them more. Versus in the tournament, you might see a couple games, but you're trying to re- prepare for somebody, and then you got one day in between to prepare for the next team if you win that game. So that's why in the tournament you might see so many Cinderella runs because any given night that team might be just playing better than you. Whereas in this in, in your conference tournament, you're not it's not too many times you see a Cinderella run. You're gonna see who's dominant throughout that regular season all the time. And they were dominant for, you know, up until this year, fourteen years, I think, straight. Um, so get to get one in the midst of that, even though, you know, we, we tied with them, we should have won that. But we ended up dropping the game, our last game of the season, to Oklahoma State. Controversial game or whatever, but it was against Marcus Smart and um, his Oklahoma State team. Ended up losing that game, but KU also lost that night to a very, very good uh, Baylor team who was led by Pierre Jackson at the time. Um who went crazy on them that night. And, um, yeah, it was it was another memorable day where, like, when that happened and we figure out, oh, we're champions, and they text our group and tell us. And we also have we, – we got this thing in Manhattan called Fake Patty Say, and um, it was created in – I forgot when, like, 2007, before I was there. But, you know, students just celebrate St. Patrick's Day a week before. It's the name Fake Patty's. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like a mini Mardi Gras is how I explain it. Um, there's thousands and thousands of people there, but it's like a mini Mardi Gras. And Fake Patty Day was the same day all of this happened. So once once KU lost, Coach Weber texted the group, it's like, you guys can go out. Like, congratulations, you're Big 12 champs. And we went out, and it was like, Pandemonium. I was crowd surf. I was, I was crowd surfing, <laughs> let's just say that. That's how crazy it was. Like, I was down in the bar district, so it was another situation where, like, for Faith Patty State, the police block off not being able to drive through there because it's thousands of people in this little area. Like, it's it's probably at least ten to ten to 15,000 people in a very small area. So it's, like, super packed, so they don't let no one drive through. And where I lived at was walking distance to, to Aggieville, so... Me and my roommate at the time, who's from Fort Lauderdale, he ran track. Um, we walked to the Ville, and I might have took 600 pictures that night, and wow. I'm not exaggerating it. Wow. And I was crowd. They picked me up and was crowd surfing. They picked up my the other guys with uh, almost everybody on the team got crowd surfed that night, from seven-footers to down to me, and I'm only 6'2", so... Like they were excited to to be like at the school and, and experience that because it just was another moment, something that they had never experienced. And I'm 
like truly grateful that I was able to be a part of that. Wow. I mean, some people never experienced that in a lifetime. So, you know, kind of being able to hear you tell that story is truly amazing. So, I mean, your group, uh, I, not only did you win the Big 12 and, a share, uh, you know, a, a, a share of the Big 12, but your class ended up being leaving. You end up leaving as a part of the winningest class in school history. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, right, wrapping up off such a high, I'm sure your expectations was an opportunity to play professionally NBA. Tell us a little bit about that next phase and uh, what that experience was like for you. Um. Well, for, well, to be honest, I knew the uphill battle was going to be for me personally mm-hmm. because it's neither here nor how you may view it, but I was always uh, up and down in lineups throughout my career. Um, there was times where I'd be starting and then there's times where I'm not. There, there was a lot of early on in my career, you know, it's just up and down where mm-hmm. I, I just understood how it goes as far as being drafted or being invited to summer league and stuff like that. On top of the fact that after my senior year, once we lost to LaSalle in the tournament, um, I had surgery on both of my knees. I had arthroscopic surgery. So I didn't automatically even believe that I was going to – I tried my hardest to, like, rehab and wanted to play professionally. I had hired a, a agent. But um, I came home, played in the summer, like a little summer league for a lot of them, and played three games. And after that, I was in so much pain, I couldn't walk. So I just knew I couldn't play pro my first year out. And it was hard to watch because, you know, the other two guys I was playing with, you know, Jordan Henriquez was playing for the New York Knicks uh, summer league, and uh, Ryan McGruder was playing with the uh, Oklahoma City Thunders uh, summer league team. And then there's me, and I'm, you know, in Manhattan rehabbing. So, and it was a situation where I, I was, you know, it, there were times where I was really sad. Um, but what really helped me out was Coach Weber and uh, his associate head coach, uh, Christopher Lowry. They would call me every single day to check on me, and then every day they would ask me, do you want to be a grad assistant? You can, you can come back to school and, you know, be in school and also – you know, rehab while you're here and, you know, probably try to play next year. I've seen people sit out a year and go play, and I'm just like, nah, I'm going to go play. I'm going to go play. Like, I'm going to play this year. I'm going to be all right. And I kept fighting and fighting until I got to a point where it's just like, you know what, Tay, it's okay. Like, it's no rush. It's, it's better to be healthy and late and healthy than, you know, unhealthy and sent home, and now you can't play no more at all, like, period. So at the end of 2013, I decided to go back to Kansas State as a graduate assistant, um, along with getting the proper rehab that I needed, um, so I could be able to play the next the next upcoming season after that. That is, uh, first of all, Coach Weber and those guys, kudos to them because I've heard and I know so many stories firsthand. Once guys are done playing, and mo- in some cases, you know, they can't even get the coach back on the phone, you know, and throughout the college landscape is kind of that next guy up mentality where a lot of times, you know, the relationship is not as important once guys leave uh, as it was as when, when they were on campus. So, and, and it's unfortunate because a lot of guys have 
no real direction to where to go next when things doesn't things doesn't work doesn't work in their favor. So for them to kind of continually stay in contact with you, offer you opportunities to come back and to to rehab. I mean, first kudos to them because again, that is another side of it that um, you don't hear about too often. Definitely not in that way. So with that being said, you decided to go go back to Kansas State, but talk about let's talk about and we'll wrap up here um in terms of you continuing to pursue your dream of playing professional um well i i went back to kansas state was in school and doing the whole uh rehab thing but one thing coach Weber did as i was rehabbing he would put me in they ask me, how do you feel today? And I'll be like, oh, I'm good. This ain't coaching. He'll be like, I need you for a scout team today. And I'll be like, okay. You know, and me, I, I anytime, anytime I can play basketball, period, is a blessing to me. And especially after that, where you, once you get something taken away from you, you start to be a little bit more grateful um, in hopes that if God gave you a chance to play it again, you'll, you'll appreciate it more. So, that's how I viewed it. Every day I would just come into their practice. Like, I'm going to help these kids get better. Most of them are my old, like, teammates I played with the year before. So I'm going to help them get better. But it's also helping me. And the way I approached it every day was just like a game. And Coach Weber uh, noticed that. He just used to watch me. And I used to just go out there and try to kill them um, every single day. And, you know, one day uh, I'm in class. And Coach Weber texts me. It's like, when you're done with class, come see me. And I'm like, okay. So I go up there and see him. And, I, you know, I'm in his office. And he's just staring at me. And I'm like, what's up, Coach? And he's just like, you want to play, don't it? And I'm like, I mean, I play every day. What do you mean? He's like, no, you want to be a professional. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, I can tell. Because you go out and play harder than all my players every day. And I'm like, I mean, I'm just trying to, like, get – put myself in a position where if that opportunity comes around again, that I'm ready. He was like, I'm going to help you out. You know a couple guys, I can't promise you anything, but I'm going to make some calls to see if I can, can help you out. And, I mean, and then after that, I was just appreciative regardless of what, what he was going to be able to get. But in my head, I was really, like, hopeful because this is a – this is a coach who's been coaching for 20 years who coached Darren Williams and D Brown and Luther Head and, you know, made, made it to a, a national championship where a lot of coaches can't say they made it to. So I know he knows a lot of people. Um, so by the end of October in 2014, he calls me and he's just like, I got, I got you somewhere. And I'm like, huh? He was like, I need you to pack up your whole apartment. I already told your academic advisor that you're leaving. You got to go. Go. I'm going to buy you a plane ticket home so you can see your family. And they need you. That was a, that was a Friday. They needed me in Europe and Slovakia, which was my first job, by that Tuesday. Wow. Um, a quick, super quick turnaround. Literally called me, told me that on Friday, said so I'm buying you a ticket for Sunday. Went home Sunday, was home for two days, and had to leave Tuesday. Wow. That's what made all of that happen. Amazing. Like, again, I don't know who. I'm not familiar in terms of him knowing him personally, but again, those are the guys that should really be represented more in terms of 
you know, in this, because I mean, because there's not many of them, man. It's, it's, you know, it's not many. So more guys like that is, is needed. So again, you fought through the injuries, you fought through, um, you know, the, the, the obstacles and you just kind of lended yourself to supporting the Kansas State basketball team. And in return, you know, that kind of, you know, helped you to recover, recuperate, and then presented you opportunity. So th- that is a, is a lesson in itself. But we'll close out with, you know, just kind of a little bit about just the experiences that you've had overseas and the adjustment. Now, you talk about going from Fort Lauderdale to Kansas. Now, from Kansas to Europe, like, what was that adjustment like for you? And, you know, tell, tell me a little bit about that. Well, my first year in Slovakia, in all honesty, was it was horrible. Almost cursed, I'm sorry. But it was horrible, like terrible. And I got put into a position where, um, well, I, for people that have, haven't been to Europe, there's certain countries that they don't have no ounce of anybody that's of any color. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to a, a city name, by the name of Nitra. Uh, Slovakia, and I was the only black person in the city. Wow. Um, and, uh, and the only time you would see another black person is when another team would come to town. But I was the only black person in the city. So um, a lot of times I will go to the mall and do my grocery shopping and all that, and it would feel like uh, I feel like a zoo animal. I'll, you know, I'll be walking and everybody's staring. And I'll turn around and look back and every single eye is on you, like just stopped in their tracks staring. Like it's something they never seen before, which obviously is not. And um that 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 was it got to a point where I just used to laugh and 'cause I that doesn't it, it it was new to me, but it didn't really bother me. Um but it was a situation, the reason why I really say it was horrible because um, I got there, didn't have my own apartment, had to share it with a player and his girlfriend and his dog. I ended up having, I ended up leaving there um, just because I wanted my own space and they put me in a dorm um, on a college campus, which is, their, their dorms are way worse than you United States dorms. Wow. Um, I had no Wi-Fi in my room. Every night I wanted to speak to my family and friends, I had to go sit out on the steps um, in the hallway just to get some type of like Wi-Fi, um, my TV. Uh, the only channels that I got were no channels. They were all the little fuzzy stuff. Um, I had no kitchen or anything like that, so they bought me these little hot plates, like where I can like cook. I had two pans and stuff like that in there. Um, but even through all of that, I ended up being a leading scorer at the time um, to a team. That was I came into it. They were on ten. They ended up winning the first game, which was my second game there. And I ended up uh, getting like player of the match. And at the time, it was my career high. I had thirty six that game on my birthday. Uh, we won our first game. That was our first game won. Um, but the jersey I was wearing of was that of another player who had an Achilles injury, who was recovering and was almost back from his Achilles injury, which I thought was weird. Which Come to find out, I will find out why it was like that. And um, so we went on after that, and I ended up being lean scorer, second in rebounding, first in assists, first in steals. And after 10 games, they released me. 
basically said that you had to go. And I was completely confused about it. I was devastated. I was probably as close as I've been to depression because it was one of those situations where I, I know older people who's played, who's experienced it, but I never thought it would be me. Um, and I didn't think it had to, it had to do with the way I was playing or what was going on, but I was just so unsure of it. And I got the sign that I needed to give me some type of comfort, which was the other, the other guy on my team at the time. Um, he was still, he was a big man. He was still on the team and they had a game while I was still there because how they do it in Europe is when they release you. You get to stay there for an extra two weeks just in case somebody else picks you up. So it's easier for you to travel from wherever you are in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and my teammate texts me after his game and he's like, Tay, you will not believe what coach said today. And I'm like, what happened? He's like, he's like, Tay, I was so uncomfortable. I never experienced nothing like that. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he tells me, he says, uh, coach was just saying a lot of racial things about you. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, uh, he looked at his players. He looked at me. He was like, oh, you're guarding the other monkey on that team. We don't have a monkey on our team no more. And started laughing. And I was just like, when, when he said that, I understood where I was at. And it gave me, weirdly, it gave me the comfort that I needed to know that I didn't get cut because I wasn't playing well. Because if I wasn't playing well, then that's on me. And I've been mad at myself, but I was confused at the time. I'm like, I did everything right. I help you guys win a game. Games where y'all get blowed out. We're in the game to the end. And then this happens. I'm confused. But when he tells me this, and this is a, this is a white guy from Minnesota. He's never experienced that. He's like, Hey, I felt so uncomfortable. I didn't even want to play. I had a horrible game today. Like it was terrible. And then the guy jersey that I was wearing, he told me, he was just like, um, the guy name was Buku at the time. Uh, I don't know how this is Buku, but he was like, yeah, Buku's back. He said the coach was like, Buku's back. We're good now. We don't have that monkey on our team no more. And I'm just like, I kind of grinned when he told me this through in text because I'm happy. Like, it, it really made me happy. I'm like, okay, you don't like me for your own ignorance that's absolutely fine it don't have nothing to do with my playing and um that that after that i was i was glad to go home it was and and the assistant coach who was really cool with me at the time another you know slovakia but he told me he was he was the assistant coach and he was the owner he was part owner of the team he was like i'm gonna fire this coach because he's no good but he never would tell me why it wasn't like he was like it's not his coaching he's just not a good person Mm. and he would never just say why, but it, th- that told me that is why. Because even before that, the players that are from Slovakia on that team told me, I forgot the name of the guy, but they had a guy on the team the previous year that played at Kentucky, and the same coach sent him home. Wow. So in my eyes, I'm like, you could save yourself and just go and recruit a guy that's white and don't even bring me over here, but... You go out of your way to do all of this, and then you hurt me. And then come to find out from my agent at the time, he put out some bad stuff about me. He said I was—I don't even know to this day. I don't even know what the words, but it was bad things. 
ended up kind of hurting my career after that, but I was okay with not being in that situation ever again. So what did you, so after that situation, how did you come out of that and then maybe talk about, you know, what, what do you have going now? Um, after that situation, it was the hardest time of my life. Um, from a basketball standpoint, that was 2014. I didn't play again on an actual club team till 2017. And throughout those three years, I was like on the brink of quitting basketball. And that's for my whole life, from everything I've told you today, it, it, that's just been me. Like, I, I've, I'm extremely, I was always good in school. I was always smart i always knew that basketball was gonna last forever but i didn't think i'll be done at basketball at 22 23 years old um for some people that's reality but once i got a taste of it i'm like it got taken away from me from the type of situation and um and i just didn't like that bad people like low-key dictated because they put put it out there that i i was the bad player and mm-hmm. i've never been known to be you know, that a person that you can't coach type thing. Um, not to mention, side note, when they sent me home, they got me a connecting flight through Berlin, but my flight from Berlin to the States wasn't until the next day. So I had to sit in an airport for twenty one hours. Wow. No food, no nothing. Twenty one hours. The the restaurants in that in that Berlin airport closed at a certain time. So I had to eat as much as I could up until like 10 o'clock. And then they didn't open till the next day until like 10 o'clock. So, and I didn't have nowhere to sleep or nothing like that, obviously in the airport. And they knew what they was doing. They did that on purpose. But mm-hmm. that's out of my hands. That's neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. But for the next three years, I would just train and just train. And I'll go back to Kansas every summer. Uh, Coach Webb will let me come do camps. Um, so I work his camps and I'll just work out there and, you know, get like great workouts. Sometimes he'll let me get in that workouts if we wanted to, um, but I'm lifting with the team. I'm doing everything that, you know, you could do as a pro to always stay prepared. And, um, I didn't really get to play with nobody. I got an opportunity to go to China to do a tour and that's not really a club team, but it's a team full of Americans playing against people that are on teams in their leagues. So we might play people that's in the CBA or league under. Um, so my first time, I was there for three months. And the second time, I was there for six weeks. But that's the only thing I got in 2015 and 2016. Um, for the rest of 2014, I couldn't, I didn't get nowhere. And then it was, uh, no, I'm sorry, 2016 and 2017 is when that happened. 2015, nothing. 2016, nothing. I mean, 2014, nothing. Towards the end of it. Um, 2017, when I went to China, before I got on that plane, I'm a guy that's deep into my faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got on that plane and I just prayed to God that, you know, whatever happens, just let me get some type of opportunity. Um, usually with with uh, tours, like those Chinese tours, they don't record games, so you can't even get filmed. 
from it. Um, so that's what made it hard. But I was just like praying to God that I get an opportunity. I get an opportunity. Those six weeks was up. Um, and um, Zhao, I think it's called. And I remember it. Um, two it's two days, forty eight hours, literally. They put us in the city um, that was flying out of for the weekend. It was like, listen, we're gonna give you this much money. Y'all can shop. Y'all can do whatever. Your flight is until Monday uh, or Sunday. And forty eight hours before that, that same day that we got there, I get a message from my old agent that I had fired four months prior. He's like, listen, I don't know if you got an agent, but I got a team in Indonesia that wants you. And I'm like, is this serious? He sent me the contract. He shows me. I, I talked to some of the representatives from the team. It's a legit league. I'm like, you know what? This is what I prayed for mm-hmm. after three years, realistically. Um, so instead of going back home, and I'm already on that side of the world, I ended up going to Indonesia, which ended up turning into... 2017, I call like the greatest year of my life because I was on the brink of like quitting basketball. Like after that Chinese tour, I probably would have just been like, I'm good and just figure it out from the States as far as a job or something. But I ended up going to Indonesia and winning the championship. Wow. Like it was the weirdest thing ever. Man, that is, that is a testament of. Uh, perseverance, man, and kudos, man. I mean, that, and it happens that way. Sometimes the chip falls our way and sometimes it don't. So just just an example of kind of continuing to the path and just, you know, exhausting all options and, uh, you know, present yourself in a way where if opportunity do present itself that you're able to take care of it, uh, take advantage of it. So, man, that is awesome, man. Uh, What is your long-term plan in turn what what's next once the basketball goes flat what are you looking to do um with the second half of your life um i'm kind of in between a lot of things i don't know if i want to so i went to school for business marketing Mm -hmm. i was a marketing major um always was like once the ball stopped I wanted to be a marketing major for a, a professional team. It don't have to just be basketball. I feel like I can freaking sell people to come to games and buy merchandise and all that type of thing and make money for a professional team as well as anybody. Um, but then there's a side of me that's, you know, maybe I want to stay in around the game and be coaching. The coaches at Kansas State always be like, you'll be a good coach because you can recruit, like, you know, you got connections, you know people, you probably can recruit Florida well. You know, you, I have this type of personality that's always young. Um, and that's the most important thing. You got to be able to relate to your recruits mm-hmm. in some type of way to a point where they feel, you know, comfortable with you. Um, then, you know, the flip side of that, shoot, I like to cook. You know, I, I like all kinds of different things. So I don't even have a set plan as to what I want. Um, kind of all over the place whether I want to get into you know basketball still or use my degree or you know be an entrepreneur or whatever well I'll say this <clears throat> you 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 have some time I'll say just you know explore whatever it is and you know whatever makes you happy at the end of the day um, I'll just say start to kind of maybe tap into and get a little experience there. I know, you, I know your off season is probably not as long, but 
you know, doing different things in those different fields, doing your offseason when you're here in the States, give you some firsthand experience. But uh, it's no doubt whatever you decide to do, especially if it surround whatever it is, you know, sports, coaching, marketing, whatever it is, there's no doubt that I believe you have what it takes to be successful and great. Um, so with that being said, man, I thank you again for your time. Thank you for for hopping on the podcast with me and just telling us a little bit about your journey. Uh, we wish you well this upcoming season, and uh, we look forward to following you throughout the rest of your career. I appreciate you having me, man. It's, it's been fun. Thanks for listening to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, and comment. Follow us on all platforms at What's the Hype Podcast. I've been grinding all my life, love, all my life. Been grinding all my life, sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice? Got to roll the dice. That's why. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.